High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. School is out and it's Friday night. I'm all wrapped up and I feel alright. Hello, out of Malibu. This is all we want to do. I'm at the high school, baby, young girl. I'm at the high school, baby, young girl. I'm at the high school, baby, young girl. Welcome, brains, beauties, jocks, and rebels. Oh, and an extra special shout-out to the recluse out there. This is a very special summer school edition of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening. But first, summer school is still in session. And before we get to your homework, how'd you guys like last week's episode? So if you did not do your homework or you did not listen last week, shame on you. But it was Class of 1984. Very violent film, very interesting, very cult classic film. A lot of positive feedback on High School Slumber Party Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I posted a picture of Michael J. Fox from the movie, and people kind of were reacting to that, seeing that young baby face Michael J. Fox. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you're going to want to check it out. Uh, Cage Club co-creator, Mike Manzi, who was our guest, dropped a song from his high school punk band, My Five Dads. So that was pretty cool. It's one minute. It's easy to listen to. It's just, uh, I don't know, it was just fun to bring such a high school treasure into the world. So I really, 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 really hope you guys enjoyed that. Speaking of Mike Manzi... Him and our other co-creator, the Godfather, Joey Lewandowski, were featured in The Record, which is a newspaper in New Jersey. The Cage Club Podcast Network was featured in this article. Kyle, my former co-host, was part of the hookup for that as well. But it was really awesome. They were front-page news. So love when I can see and feel the presence of the Cage Club Podcast Network. And I'm Happy to be on the team. Happy that High School Slumber Party has a place. If you want to check the article out, go into our Facebook page or Cage Club Podcast Network's Facebook page or Twitter or social media. You'll find it. Or just Google it. Just Google Cage Club Podcast Network and I'm sure it'll turn up. You know what? Why am I asking if you want to do that? I'm your teacher. Mandatory reading assignment. Read that article. Okay, okay, look, I know you want to get the slumber party started because this is a big one. A huge one. The Breakfast Club. Maybe the most iconic teen movie of all time. Big, massive, so big that we had to divide it in two. You could only really scratch the surface in one hour with The Breakfast Club, so you'll get one episode this week and one episode next week. I thought it would be cool, too, in the in-between to just do a lot of breakfast club things on social media it's a big movie like i said i don't know what do you think watching it this time it was still great don't get me wrong but i had some different takes some different feelings there was even some problematic things 
By the way, my guest this week is one of my favorite people on the Cage Club Podcast Network, Kara Gail O'Regan. First time she's on this show, but she's been on PSLF Hoffman. More importantly, though, she's one of the two co-hosts of Wistful Thinking, like I said, a great show on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Definitely check it out if you haven't. I really like Wistful Thinking. They do a lot of cool stuff there. Anyway, oh, oh, I should mention Wistful Thinking. I was just on an episode of Wistful Thinking, like, a month ago or a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember now. But we talk about The Breakfast Club because it was right after we recorded this. So listen to it because I feel like it's somewhat of a companion piece to this episode. Without further ado, though, let's dive into John Hughes' magnus opus, The Breakfast Club. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. And what other song would I use right now? What other song would I bring The Breakfast Club in with than Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me? Class dismissed. So I've been doing this thing recently about asking people what sleeping bag they're bringing to the slumber party. <laughs> so, so let's get this out of the way first. What sleeping bag, Kara, are you bringing to the slumber party? Uh, my childhood favorite sleeping bag, which was like a teal polyester on the outside and neon pink fuzzy stuff on the inside. Ooh. It probably has some vomit stains on it from... <laughs> Uh, eating too much junk food and then barfing at sleepovers, but, you know. <laughs> that, that, that's very, like, it feels like very much of that era, those colors. Yeah. and like, Oh, the, for sure. I could totally picture that. Yeah, I had rollerblades that matched. The- <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was an interesting time, because it was, I don't know, was it that people didn't realize that, like, those colors existed, like, colors between the colors, almost, <laughs> until, like, that era, you know? And, and then they just started throwing them at us like Saved yeah. by the Bell like and just all that kind of Lisa Frank yeah. stuff. I actually have been thinking a lot about like color and like what's available in time and stuff because I happened to notice during the Winter Olympics this year that women were wearing blue uh, specifically in figure skating blue dresses that just seemed so blue like unbelievably blue like a blue that i'd never seen on tv before (laughs) and i was like have they invented some like new blue technology you know because the the history of color is actually really uh fascinating and that's for a different podcast but um i'm i wonder if 
creating those kind of neon pinks and teals and stuff like if they didn't have like the dye technology for it or like whatever so that's a possibility no it's super fascinating it really is i, w- I wonder if you could major in color history i'm sure right mm, somewhere probably. yeah uh, there's certainly classes on it yeah and like you could probably write a dissertation it's something that people usually don't mm-hmm. think about, but it's it's, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. So again, thank you for coming to the slumber party. This one's a doozy. This is a big film. A lot of people, when I first started doing this cast, a lot of people were like, "You going to the Breakfast Club?" And I was like, "Of course." Well, it is the. Oh, I just deleted that note because I thought that you were probably going to say it. Um, it's the number one high school movie on like some list by Entertainment Weekly or something. I don't know. Yeah. I've done like some big list of. You know, it's like archetypal. It's it's a primary document for high school movies. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like the one that when people think of high school movies, they're usually thinking of this one. Right. Or a parody of it in like a later thing. Yes, for sure. It's so much so that, again, I mean, and we'll talk about this too, but like that Simple Minds theme song, three notes play on that <laughs> and you think of The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. And you think of The Breakfast Club and you think of that song. So it's, they kind of go hand in hand. So, okay, I, I, I guess I gave away the title. This is The Breakfast Club. But if you clicked <laughs> this podcast episode, you know. And again, unless you just... I, I wish I'll get to the day where people just have my podcast in random shuffle and then listen to it between their music. But I don't think that'll ever happen. And, that, and that's totally fine. Again, Kara... Thank you for coming on. Oh, so psyched to be here. So have you have you listened to our show before? I have, yeah. So then you know how to properly introduce yourself then? Um, I know, can you refresh my memory because I might leave something out? I figured. No, I mean, that's okay. I'm not very popular. <laughs> Just like high school. No, <laughs> say, say your name and your graduating class year and where you graduated from. Okay. Uh, my name is Carrie Gail O'Regan. I graduated in class of 2005 from Lakeland Regional High School in Wanakew, New Jersey. Oh, nice. Cool. Go Lancers. Lancers, yeah. That's the part I forgot to mention, but you remembered it anyway. I'm assuming it's just like a dude with a lance, like a knight? On like a horse, like medieval okay. time shit. Yeah. Okay. okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a weird, a weird mascot to have, but, you know, at least it wasn't racist. So we had no, that going true, for us. No, true. True. It's hard to make that racist. I wonder if one day it'll be like Timist or something. Like, <laughs> But that's the only thing I could think of, if that's even a thing. I don't know. But cool, the Lancers. I like that name. That's a unique one here. So it's your first time in, at the slumber party. Mm-hmm. Happy to have you. But again, you've been my and Kyle's guest on P.S. I Love Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And I was your guest once on Whistle Thinking on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Happy to have you on. Very excited about this because, again, this is this is a big movie. But seeing it's it's your first time, Kara, what were you like in high school? What was your high school experience like? Oh my goodness. Um, well, we did just watch The Breakfast Club, and um, probably not surprising to like anyone who knows me now but didn't know me in high school. I was a lot like Ali Sheedy's character <laughs> Allison in the film. I didn't talk much. Uh, I was real weird, and. Um, Probably pretty unpleasant to be around, I think. <laughs> uh, so I was just a uh, aggressively weird, I would describe myself that way. In high you didn't school. talk much, and now you no. have like And now podcast I have multiple galore. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, making up for lost time. Um, 
funny story that relates both to this podcast and your first podcast, P.S. I Love Hoffman. Um, a few years after I graduated from college, so probably like 2011 or 2012, a friend of mine from college was working at a local Starbucks and she was a manager there and she had this new hire who was training there one day when I went in and it happened to be somebody that I went to high school with. Ooh. And it was the first time that I had seen him since probably since we graduated high school. And uh, I was just, you know, in that kind of post-collegiate, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life phase and was like working at the Apple store or freelancing. I forget which part of my career this was at, but like nothing really going on. And he was asking me what I was up to. And then he said that he had expected me to be like Julianne Moore's character in The Big Lebowski by then. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she's like this like extremely eccentric artist who's like doing weird and provocative (laughs) art, which I was not doing at the time. So that's, I mean, that's cool. (laughs) And it does, it does relate to Ben. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. (laughs) It's, I I said what, because it's so specific. (laughs) It's extremely specific. Yeah. (laughs) Were you friends with this person? Um, no, not really. I, I mean, we had a lot of like mutual friends. I hated high school and I hated where I grew up, even though I love it now. And I, like in retrospect was so so lucky to go to a school that had such like a rich ecosystem of weirdos like just weirdos <laughs> of every every color every shade every flavor um and so he was part of the larger weirdo community <laughs> in my town <laughs> the larger subset of the weirdos yeah. i have to i have to say though i'm glad that i i think we'll get along on this podcast well because from the first time I saw this film, I I just loved Ali Sheedy's oh, she's character. So good. What's her name again? Allison. Allison. Yeah, that's why I get so confused. Yeah. <laughs> Allison. She's just amazing. I'm not a big fan of where she ends up. Yeah. But the, you know. Me we'll, neither. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when was the first time you saw The Breakfast Club? Do you even remember? I do. I remember it very vividly because oh, good. we watched it in my ninth grade health class, actually. What? Yeah. Our teacher, Miss <laughs> Decker, who, shout out to her. She's awesome. Um, but she showed this to like all of her ninth grade health classes. And at the time, I was like, I mean, okay, but like, why are we watching this? Um, <laughs> and I think... Uh, she showed it to, like, show kids that, like, even though you might be different from each other, you're all, like, going through some shit, and, like, high school is hard, and, like, you know, we're not all so different after all, which is kind of the moral of the whole the whole story. So um, I remember watching it in that class, and my school used what's called block scheduling. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but, like, instead of nine, like, 40-minute periods or however normal school set up we would have two semesters of um like hour and like five hour and 20 minute blocks so you would have half of your classes for half the year and half of your classes for the other half of the year um and for people who were in things like band or the choir which at my school is called a chorale i don't know why but like these things that like needed 
like you needed to go to class for the whole year because you were like performing throughout the year. Um, we were all in one gym class together. And so we, we were also all in one health class together. So like gotcha. all of the band gotcha. geeks and all of the choir nerds were like in a single gym class, which was hilarious. And so I think like the, the effect of watching this movie might have had like a lesser effect on that group of kids than you know, <laughs> if we were in like the general population. But um, yeah. So. That's pretty funny. So were you in the band or the choir? I or? was in the band, yeah. What did you play? I I played the tuba um, or oh, wow. sousaphone if we were marching. Uh, yeah. I, um, that makes sense. I didn't love band. I had realized from a fairly early age that like I'm creative and artistic, but I am not musical. <laughs> and like that. <laughs> and I had had so many friends from a very early age that were like clearly extremely talented musicians so I was like oh that's their thing like they can do the music thing I'll do all the other things and then my parents like forced me to be like they gave me a choice between band or chorale and they were like you have to pick one of them because you need some sort of like social structure (laughs) and like these are good kids and so we want you to be around good kids and not naughty kids but jokes (laughs) on them because I did Lots of naughty things with those kids. Um, (laughs) What was I saying? Now I forget. Oh, my parents forced me to be in band. And so I didn't pick corral because the teacher was an abusive asshole and I didn't enjoy getting yelled at all the time. So I went with the band and I was like, all right, fine. If you're going to make me do this, I'm going to pick the weirdest instrument. And I, (laughs) you know, it was a real like self-own because... um, it's it's heavy like the tube is really heavy <laughs> yeah i was gonna say do you feel like kind of a relation to andrew then ironically in this film like i forced... feel a relation with like all of the characters <laughs> at this point in my life like we contain multitudes i think there's a little bit of all of these people in all of us <laughs> um, very true yeah but yeah i think like a pretty good mashup of allison and andrew in this movie so two two quick questions that sprung from that. One, now you mentioned this chorale as the chorus thing. Now, mm-hmm. was it called like the chorale, and it, or was like that was just your word for chorus? No, it was from? actually called the chorale, Lakeland Chorale, and they actually were really fantastic. Like we also were so lucky to have really amazing arts programs at our public high school. I don't know why, but they were really well funded. Um, and even though that teacher was abusive and horrible, uh, he like took them around the world and they performed in wow. Europe and they won all sorts of awards. So um, actually when that, I forget what it was called, but that drum movie that came out a few years ago about like this kid and his like drum mentor who is an abusive asshole that like sparked this whole big thing on facebook about this teacher who is oh oh uh, Um, whiplash yeah that it started a whole dialogue about whether his behavior was appropriate which for the record it was not it was not appropriate for the record well screw that guy then yeah (laughs) my other question was when was the last time you picked up a sousaphone 2004 because I turned 18 my senior year, and I was like, I don't have to do anything I don't want to anymore, so I'm quitting the <laughs> band. <laughs> Maybe you're due for another uh, sousaphone. Maybe next time you're on, you'll bring that sousaphone. I mean, honestly, this whole time I've always wanted to, like, my secret dream is to start a ska band, so... <laughs> Anyway, 
<laughs> has, because I don't own a sousaphone. They were they belong to the to the school. But um, if anyone has a sousaphone and wants to start a ska band with me, like I'm there, hundred percent. You heard Kara slumbers. Let us know. You got a sousaphone, or you want to start the ska band? Go for it. You know what? Like from watching a lot of these films and just doing my research, if that's what you want to call it, there is such a ska element in a lot of these films. Yeah. Not The Breakfast Club, but yeah. <laughs> obviously a lot of the 90s ones. For sure. I mean, it was huge in the 90s, so it, it's not surprising to me that um, it like made its way into youth-centric movies. Now, this is one of the many films, and this one doesn't have a band in it because it's limited, but one of the many films where I've done so far and again, and a watch too, that have musical elements. And I know a lot of films have musical elements, but it seems like that's a huge trope in these high school films. Um, this one, they're just kind of playing records and stuff, so it's not as bandy. But it's definitely, again, with the Simple Mind stuff, music has become a big sub-theme here, and it really wasn't in P.S. I Love Hoffman, so I'm kind of enjoying that too. Yeah, that's cool. Let's dive into The Breakfast Club, though. 1985, big year. It, it didn't do that well so it was third at the box office to beverly hills cop and Wit- witness so kind of i don't know like i grew up thinking that this movie was a huge hit and everybody knows this movie so i just assumed it was like number one at the box office when yeah. it came out and it was super popular but i think it's one of these films that gained a big following over time it only had a million dollar budget and it was super you know how many people are in the film i mean not counting the parents yeah it's the, the five kids and the two adults in school. And it's all, like, almost entirely on one set. Like, they do yeah. kind of branch out into the hallways and stuff, but the vast majority of the action takes place in that library. Yeah, the va- it, it's almost like a... It reminds me of a play a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm not asking for it, and they adapt too many things now, <laughs> but this is something that could easily translate to a stage show. Yeah. So this on Rotten Tomatoes, like I always mention, 88% by the critics, 92% by the audience, super high scores. It's really one of the most beloved American classics in the genre. Mm-hmm. In 2016, it was preserved by Congress and the National Film Registry, all this kind of stuff. And if you guys have no idea what The Breakfast Club is, I'm really, again, surprised that you were drawn to this podcast, <laughs> but whatever. Maybe it, maybe it's my you know vocal magnitude. I'm not sure. I really doubt that. So regardless, I do this segment every time. I actually own this DVD, so I'm going to read the back of the DVD cover. Here goes. They were five students with nothing in common, faced with spending a Saturday detention together in their high school library. At 7 a.m., they had nothing to say, but at 4 p.m., they had bared their souls to each other and become good friends. John Hughes, creator of a critically acclaimed Sixteen Candles, wrote, directed, and produced this hilarious and often touching comedy, starring Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. To the outside world, they were simply the jock, the brain, the criminal, the princess, and the kook. But to each other, they'll always be the breakfast club. One quick note. They change, like, depending on the promotional thing and in the film, they change a lot of the, uh, I guess they're nicknames, Mm -hmm. which are kind of self-given in the film. The only one that stays consistent is The Brain. Yeah. Which is, again, Anthony Michael Hall. I guess we'll just run through the cast quickly. As I mentioned, Anthony Michael Hall plays Brian Johnson, The Brain. Both he and Molly Ringwald 
worked on 16 Candles together with John Hughes. And he was 16 when he shot this, and he, he looks at, you know, I mean, unless you disagree. No, I think he definitely, he actually looks like a teenager. Yeah. Um, mentioned Molly Ringwald. She played Claire. So she, in some things, she's called the princess, and some things, she's called the beauty. Oh, interesting. Originally, John Hughes wanted her to play Allison, which kind of seems crazy now, but whatever. Um, but she got upset and really wanted to play Claire, and apparently petitioned the studio that, and him to play Claire, and she got her wish. And she's so good in this. Yeah, yeah I can't picture that them like swapping roles. You know, um, I'm sure they would have done a great job, but just it's so ingrained in my mind. Um, Emilio Estevez plays Andrew. Of course you are! You're the one who yelled the Breakfast Clubber's name! I was like, Emilio! <laughs> well, before you go any further, I wound up on his Wikipedia page, and did you know that Emilio Estevez is also known for being one of the key writers in the cult hit Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega? No, wait, time out. You're not, you're not, that's <laughs> I, not, are listen, you serious? I don't know if that's true, but it is in his Wikipedia article. Wait, what? Okay, you're right. I'm glad <laughs> Sorry, you Sorry, I just derailed me. the entire no, 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 podcast. No, 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 that was the most essential derailment ever. <laughs> um, okay, I gotta look this up. Mambo number five. I, I don't know, I don't see much about it. Oh, maybe that was, somebody put that in there, and it's not true. <laughs> How horrendously disappointing. I don't know, it could be. It could Guys out there, if you know any more information on this, please let us know because this is this is essential. You know what? <laughs> you I saw this. It must have been Wikipedia taken out because it was like in the first paragraph. Oh yes, <laughs> you're right because I'm not seeing it now. So false alarm, guys. Ugh, false alarm. My heart is broken. <laughs> what this is this is the dangers of wikipedia though i love wikipedia i read wikipedia more than probably anything and that's really bad no but... i don't think so i think that actually in some cases wikipedia is more is a more accurate and up-to-date source of information than the majority like as long as you like check the source you double check the sources which i clearly did not do <laughs> <laughs> then wikipedia is fine plagiarism well i don't know if that's plagiarism it's just something Something afoul in the sources here, Wikipedia. Yeah. But but normally it's good. So we will vouch for Wikipedia. We're not dissing you, Wikipedia. So regardless, Emilius Estevez, whether he wrote Mamba Number no. 5 or not, he plays Andrew <laughs> in this film. He's either called the athlete or the jock. This is the third Emilio Estevez film that we're doing in recent weeks here. Oh, yeah. Um, by the time this comes out, we will have done D3, The Mighty Ducks, where he is not a high schooler. Check out the Wistful Thinking episode of Mighty Ducks, part of our oh, I have. winter sports series. I have. <laughs> so now we'll have, uh, I think Joey mentioned it to me. I don't know if it was on air or off air, but we need someone to do D2 mm. because that's that's the missing duck element from and the I podcast. And I think that's but the yeah. best one, if I remember correctly. Like That's the one that ends when they're all like singing around a campfire singing We Are the Champions and hugging each other. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's not very realistic, but it's a very fun movie. Yeah. Like, D2 is a very fun movie. Um, and then we also did The Outsiders here, where he, I don't know if he was a high school, because he probably seen, he probably was a dropout at that point, but whatever. <laughs> so we, I think there's, there's a fair share of Emilio Estevez, at least on the recent programming here. Who else is in this film? Oh, Judd Nelson, of course, Ugh. as John Bender. <laughs> the criminal and the rebel, he's called. Fair, I guess. I don't. He's more the criminal than the rebel. Yeah. Well, I don't know. 
has problems with authority. <laughs> yes, that that's a better way to put it. Um, so he, his was the last role cast. It actually came down to two people, which are very, very, very relevant to this podcast. So it came down to Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. and John Cusack. Nicolas Cage, we know, Cage Club Podcast Network, and John Cusack, the man who is still blocking this podcast Twitter for some reason, because he must think I'm an arch conservative or something, because those are the only other people who blocks. But that's, you know, guys, let's get this, let's get this embargo off. Oh, he chose Cusack, and then he felt like Cusack didn't look bendery enough, I guess. <laughs> and then he just threw in Judd Nelson. Okay. And, oh, sorry, and Emilio Estevez was 23, and Judd Nelson was 25. And my other note on that is apparently Judd Nelson and John Hughes hated each other on set and got into many, 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 many fights because Judd Nelson was in character as a sexual harassing asshole the entire time. What a horrible... (laughs) I hate him in this movie so much. He's so horrible the whole time. It's really stressing me out. <laughs> and that's kind of, I don't want to say it's the theme of The Breakfast Club, but it's kind of like this weird thing, right? He's like an unlikable asshole. And at least, you, it doesn't forgive it, but you see, like, you know, he doesn't have a great at-home life. Yeah. But then, like, he gets the girl in the end, and we end with an image of him. Like, yeah, you know, like, he's like the ultimate winner yeah. for being a dick, well, dick the entire time. Well, it's, like, fairly clear to me that, like, that char- like that's the character that John Hughes, like, identifies with the most. Because he's basically, he's kind of the main character of this movie. There's no specifically one main character, but I think we see him more than we see anyone else. He certainly gets the lion's share of spoken lines. So, like, to me, it was just kind of, like, very clear that, like, that's his uh, stand-in in this. It's it's weird because he definitely moves the plot. I'm not 100% sure that if he's not there in the world of this story... If they even, like, talk the entire time they're there. Yeah. And so I don't know if he's supposed to be, like, a hero because of that. But, it's that, again, it's definitely polarizing. You rarely also... A lot of people love this film, and I don't blame them, but you rarely hear people say, oh, I love The Breakfast Club because of John Bender. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, uh, if you do, that's a red flag. <laughs> I'd say so. Away. <laughs> I'd say so. Oh, yeah, I'm the Bender here. Like, okay. <laughs> I I certainly had, like, shades of Bender in me. And again, I think we all kind of do. Um, Definitely, like, more so as a teenager. But, like, he is just the fucking worst. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get what he was going for. Like, if if you were going to write this today, you would have a kind of, like, rebellious character like that. But he didn't have to do it in that way. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, And then, again, we don't want to forget Ali Sheedy, who's remarkable as Allison. She's and remarkable she's, as everything. She's so good in everything that she does. Uh, I think she really like steals the entire movie from Matthew Broderick in War Games. Oh, attack! Mm. <laughs> I wonder if I should use my subs. Yeah, sure, give them the works. Ooh, good, good one. I haven't seen that in a while. Oh, it, it shockingly actually holds up for a movie about computer technology from the 80s. <laughs> it's so good. War games. Sorry, writing that down because I gotta see that. <laughs> um, did she steal the show in Home Alone Two: Lost in New York when she was briefly? Or, I don't, she's in one of the. I Home don't Alone's. know. I don't think so. <laughs> Excuse me, but this is an emergency. Yes, sir. What city is that over there? That's New York, sir. Yikes. 
something wrong, sir? But, no, she needs to be in more stuff even today. I agree and, 100%. And Allison's either the basket case, the recluse, or the kook, as it said in the back of okay. this. <laughs> yeah. Because when you said kook, I was like, I don't remember that one. Because I think in the, in the movie, they mostly say basket case. Yeah. But the marketing likes to change that for some reason. I don't know. Interesting. So Ali Sheedy w- was second place for getting the role um, that Ringwald got in 16 Candles. And John Hughes definitely wanted to use her again, so he, he had her in mind. Uh, one quick note I had, that famous poster that, you know, we all know the Breakfast Club poster, which is the cover of this DVD that I'm looking at now, was a photo shot by Annie Leibovitz, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I was kind of surprised about that. It seems pretty random, you know, for this $1 million budget film, but... <laughs> But great. I mean, look, it's an iconic poster. They're all, like, yeah. staring into my soul. <laughs> um, and the aforementioned John Hughes, definitely want to talk about him. This is the first John Hughes film on this podcast, and he's, for better or worse, um, kind of the godfather of the high school film genre, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he thought this would be his first film instead of Sixteen Candles, so he wrote it with this small cast and the setting like that. But he saw a um, a headshot of Molly Ringwald, and he was inspired, so he wrote 16 Candles first. Another note, uh, this was shot in Maine North High School, mostly in De Plain, Illinois, where, and they shot Ferris Bueller back-to-back. Oh, and the, the library's not actually the library there. It was built in a school gym. I mean, because that, that's a pretty... It's a pretty iconic library. Like, Yeah, our library did not look like that. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, not mine didn't either. I was disappointed in my high school library when I first saw it. I'm like, oh, where, where is the statue in the middle and the cool second floor thing? And yeah, no, so pretty, pretty baller library. So, I mean, I guess let's get into this film. Let's talk about it. First of all, I guess off the bat, should I say... Do you like The Breakfast Club, and did your opinions change after your most recent rewatch? I loved it when I saw it as a teen, and I had, like, I got for Christmas one year, like, a trilogy VHS set of nice uh, this with Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles, um, and I really liked them as a teenager. I think this is the first time I've seen this as an adult, though, and I mm. found it just extremely stressful to watch. <laughs> um, first, because it like it really feels like high school in a way that I think a lot of teen movies don't actually like. Clueless is probably my favorite movie of all time, and I don't get stressed out because I feel like I'm back in high school when I watch that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, whereas yeah. this, like, I felt like it really is. Uh, transports you there um which i think says a lot about the strengths of this movie um but at the same time was like just very stressed out by that and very stressed out by bender and like how much like how much space he takes up and just kind of like sucks all the air out of of, like every room that he's in in a really toxic way that like also he sexually harasses claire which is molly ringwald's character the entire time and it's just so like watching it now as an adult i'm like oh god no i had to like stop it and like do something else for a while a few times wow yeah i think i still think it's a amazing movie you know i think i think it's wonderful but it's um just it's a very different watch now 
Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, and you hit all these great points, and I definitely agree with you. Okay, so the first time I saw it, I don't exactly remember when, but it was when I was watching all these films. It's when I like discovered these um, teen films around the time of high school, and I just... You know, my mom was recommending them, and I was seeing all of them. Also, Breakfast Club was on TV mm-hmm. a lot growing up, like so I would like catch parts of it. Uh, obviously, a very different version of it on TV. But um, there was a time I really liked this movie, and then there was a time I guess I was sort of rebellious, and I got I hated this movie because I was very upset with certain outcomes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, more recently. I would say in like the last five years, I, I learned to appreciate it for the exact reason you said. It really does give you that anxiety of being back in high school. But on this most recent watch, I still enjoyed it, but the same thing with Bender. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like, whoa. And then it fe- it really does feel like he wins in the end. Yeah. And that, a, guy, a guy like that should not win. Like, I, I, I do feel bad for him that you know it seems like he is abused at home well he is he shows a cigarette mark and stuff but i don't also think that a hundred percent forgives his general essentially the way he treats claire or people in general but especially claire in this film yeah i don't know um i think you're right but i also think that like this is the first and last time this kid is ever gonna win anything you know what I mean? I mean, so, so that's a good question. I was going to ask this a little bit later. But so John Hughes originally envisioned this as a project he would do for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he thought he would revisit these five kids every 10 years and make a movie and see where they, they were. Two things stopped that. He kind of, you know, him and Molly Ringwald, they have different versions of this, yeah. but had a little bit of a falling out. But more importantly, he did not want to work with Judd Nelson ever again. Yeah. Carl the janitor, which is such a random character. I forgot that that character was even in this film. Yeah, me too. He's played by John Capellos or something like that. And the role was originally written for Rick Moranis, and he was going to be in it, but they had creative differences, so that ended up not happening. But um, he defended Judd Nelson a lot on set to John Hughes because he, uh, I believe he was either from Stella Adler or one of those method acting programs and he's like no this is great method (laughs) and like that apparently that's what kept john hughes from not firing judd nelson yeah but but he should have i mean i'm i mean that in all seriousness like judd nelson is wonderful in this movie despite the fact that his character like he's wonderful in his terribleness um but i just in general, and again, this is a thing, this is a stance that I have as, as an adult that I definitely didn't have as a teenager because I didn't understand what working with abusive people would be like, um, that I just feel like th- that kind of behavior should never be tolerated in a workplace, you know? So, like, if you want to do method acting or, like, whatever, fine. But, like, don't don't continue to abuse your castmates, you know, while you do it off camera. Like, that's so unacceptable to me. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, you're right. I mean, the, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. He definitely didn't need to do that to get that performance. I mean, I don't know, no. but, like, it doesn't feel necessary. Also, if the director tells you to stop that, you should stop <laughs> Fucking that. stop it, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I wound up going to an art school for, like, the first half of college, and it was oh, okay. at a university that was, like, entirely arts 
based, but they had visual arts and performing arts and media arts all co-located together. And uh, when the acting majors would go through those, um, you know, like they were learning this Stella Adler method and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Meisner and some other guy. and they were terrible people to be around <laughs> when they were doing that <laughs> stuff because like you get subjected to like kind of a crazy amount of emotional abuse while studying in that way and like really like breaking yourself down and like in ways that I just like I don't think is healthy and I don't you know I'm not an actor I I just don't think that that kind of thing is necessary to like fill in another character you know I, I don't know the whole the whole business of method acting like really turns me off well I could even imagine though in a college setting it being worse mm-hmm. I I'm just gonna put things on myself I was I'm not an actor and I've never tried method acting or anything like that but I just remember when I would learn things in college I would feel like I was an expert in whatever I just learned. <laughs> and you, know? you are the first person to be the expert on this. Yeah. Yeah, after... absolutely. So I oh, can only God. imagine that. I remember like coming home for like a holiday break or something, like the first semester that I took a film class and I was just insufferable to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh man no it's so true like again forgive people's behavior but it's like i again we all remember when we were in that stage and we thought we were just freaking anything we learned we thought we were geniuses or whatever (laughs) oh okay i can't forget to uh mention paul gleason who plays richard vernon Mm -hmm. um the is he vice principal or principal i I think he's vice principal but then a lot of the stuff that i was reading referred to him as a teacher so I don't know, huh. but you mess with the bull, you get the horns. That's all I know. <laughs> so this guy, yeah, he's he's really the I- iconic teacher, principal, whatever, like authority figure from teen films. I yeah. think they even bring him back for not another teen movie. Yeah, and they did that parody stuff, like, and he's just literally him <laughs> playing the same role. All right, that's it. What in God's name's going on in here? What was that ruckus? I know he had ruckus. I was just in my office. I heard a ruckus. Can you describe this ruckus, sir? Oh, you better watch your tongue, young man. You better watch it. We were just sitting here like we're supposed to. I don't want to hear it, mister. You just bought yourself another detention. But that's not fair. Cry me a river, dickface. You just bought yourself another one. Shorts. What was that? Eat my Shorts. Don't mess with a bull, young man. You'll get the horns. I'm shaking. You just got another. Good. You through? Not even close, bud. You want another one? Yes. You got it. Good. That's another one. You had enough yet? No. That's another one. So? You just say the word. I'll keep going. Go. Eeny, meeny, miny. Mo. Your mother was a... Ho. He was a famous clown. Bobo. Mitch, cut it out. That's another one for you. But I was just telling him... That's another one. So that make one more for Ox or for Mitch? Another. I confused. Shut your hole, Wang Chung. I got all three of you guys for the rest of your natural-born lives. You're mine. The next time I come in here, I'm cracking skulls. Um, And he's... 
he's he's pretty awesome at that. I mean, I don't like him. Yeah. But uh, that's probably a good thing. So, any uh, any particular scenes you want to talk about or just things? Because this is not like a real scene movie. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's like a series of vignettes, almost. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, so, I, I like the kind of... Well, I like kind of two opposite things. The quieter scenes where they're like sitting close to each other and talking. And like the scene where they're like going through each other's stuff, which... Okay, so Bender, so sometimes women carry these things that are, and again, shout out to my Wistful Thinking podcast, because eyebrows come up a lot on that show. (laughs) Um, And there are these little, like, brush slash comb things that you can use to, like, brush your eyebrows and your eyelashes with. And so um, Claire has one of those in her bag, and Bender is, like, sitting there brushing his teeth with the eyebrow brush. Oh, you know, I was wondering what that was. uh, (laughs) Later, uh, Claire actually uses it on Allison when she's, like, doing the makeover scene. (laughs) I was Uh, like, oh, my God. I I had not noticed that in a previous watch. (laughs) Um, But I also, I love the scenes uh, when they're dancing and when they get stoned. Uh, I think that's really funny because uh, Emilio Estevez is not acting like a person who just smoked weed. He is acting like a person who just did a ton of cocaine. <laughs> Let yeah, let's bring this back to that because that that's a good um, that that's a good place to get to here because I do have a lot to say about that. I don't know scene, but that like vignette there. So again, they show up there. Uh, their parents drop them off, and you know Vernon makes his presence known, and they don't get. Not that they don't get along. The only people who seem to have a relationship are Andrew and Claire, because I guess they're both popular kids. Right. They seem to know each other. They seem to kind of know of each other, more or less. But those are the only two who are in the same circle. Obviously, I forgot to mention, they're forced to write this essay that becomes a big deal. Well, well, here we are. I want to congratulate you for being on time. Excuse me, sir? I think there's been a mistake. I know it's detention, but um, I don't think I belong in here. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to think about why you're here, to ponder the error of your ways. And you may not talk. You will not move from these seats. And you will not sleep. All right, people, we're going to try something a little different today. We are going to write an essay of no less than a thousand words describing to me who you think you are. This is a test? And when I say essay, I mean essay. I do not mean a single word repeated a thousand times. Is that clear, Mr. Bender? Crystal. Good. Maybe you'll learn a little something about yourself. Maybe you'll even decide whether or not you care to return. Uh, yeah, you know, I can answer that right now, sir. You know, that'd be no, no for me, because... Sit down, Johnson. Thank you, sir. My office is right across that hall. Any monkey business is ill-advised. Any questions? Yeah, I got a question. 
Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. But the whole thing with... They're really trying to... They're, they're bored, you know? Like, that's essentially what it comes down to. So they, they go into the hallway, and they just all end up following Bender to the locker. <laughs> like, he, he, gets, he gets the weed or whatever, and he, he puts it in uh, Brian's, like, pants. Mm-hmm. How do you know where Vernon went? I don't. Well, then how do you know when he'll be back? I don't. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? What's the point of going to Bender's locker? Beats me. This is so stupid. Why do you think, why are we risking getting caught? I don't know. So then what are we doing? You ask me one more question and I'm beating the shit out of you. Sorry. What's up, slob? My maid's on vacation. Drugs. Screw that vendor. Put it back. Drugs. Boy has marijuana. That was marijuana. Shut up. And he has it there, and I like when they come back. I mean, there's a cool scene where they're like trying to get away with him, and like Bender kind of sacrifices himself because at this point he has like nine or ten detentions. Yeah. Anyway, you know, and then eventually, well, at the beginning they're all like, most of them are like, "Oh, weed is for losers" or something like that. You know, these. By the way, they use the word "sporto" a lot in this film. Yeah. for, like, jock, I'm not too familiar with that. I mean, I know what it means, obviously, just sport with an O, but was Sporto ever used at your school? Not that I recall, no. <laughs> I found that word weird. It sounds like a very, like, 80s preppy word, you know? Yes, for sure. It, like, didn't quite make it when, <laughs> when like, the Berlin Wall fell, so did the word Sporto. Yes, <laughs> and thank God, because it's dumb. But, uh, so Bender, you know goes to the back of the library, I guess, to, to smoke. And the first person to follow him is Claire. Then who's... I think Brian's next. Yeah, Brian's next. Which is that was a weird choice. And then it's Andrew. I don't know if Ali Sheedy ever goes back there until the, after they're done with their little yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't think she smokes. Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, So you're absolutely right. They're all like... Uh, getting high and, and it is one of the iconic scenes of the film but you don't see andrew but then he's like he locks himself in this room and you're right he's not he like he's hot boxes freaking... himself in this room and then gets <laughs> so amped up and breaks the glass yeah, but it's like i i'm pretty sure that's not how it goes <laughs> he's he's like you're right that's like those are like cocaine yeah I and i was like okay so this is a person who Probably has never smoked weed, but has definitely done mountains of cocaine. <laughs> like, hey, it's the 80s. But wouldn't he, like, read off his other... Pe- I mean, look, Johnny's kept it in, you know, and they always yeah. do a glass-breaking effect. So he must have given him some direction, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't but... know. I feel like maybe it's, 
you know, he's kind of, that character is kind of, like, locked in a cage of, like, masculinity and, like, all of these, like, expectations that are foisted upon him as this, you know, athlete. Um, any and, any point of conflict, he wants to beat somebody up. Yeah, and so <laughs> he, you know, isolates himself and then just needs to work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, like that's how he like gets out all of his frustrations. So I I don't know. It, it was, I just laughed so hard because I was like, that's not how that works. <laughs> like maybe they really wanted to have that scene, but they just kind of I would think just needed to be separate. Like it, it's obviously implied that it's a side effect of of like the pot, you know? Yeah, because he was that, like... like pretty chill before that. <laughs> I just, I was like, wait, what? It's something I never noticed till watching now. Yeah, uh, I, I don't like, think I noticed it previously either. Uh, it's just very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, that, yeah, that's confusing to say, to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, cool scene overall, though. Yeah. He also, his character is a varsity wrestler. Um, and in the scene that, where they're like eating lunch he unpacks his lunch and he has like four sandwiches and like a bag of cookies and like some sodas and stuff and like i don't know if you knew any wrestlers in high school but like they don't eat because they're always trying to cut weight and like make weight so small bland piece of chicken would be yeah appropriate no, I thought but he this. like it looks like he's I don't know, like a football player or something. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that, like, his coach is forcing him to fight as, like, a heavyweight. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? I don't know. And, He's so small. Like, I get that, but I was just, I, I was trying, because he has a huge bag of, like, potato chips, too, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just, like, tons and tons of food. It's something, like, there are certain things, and again, look, John Hughes, he clearly knows what he's doing in terms of like he's able to pull at our heartstrings mm-hmm. and make us relate but there's some things i can tell like maybe john hughes maybe you don't know <laughs> you don't know what sports are yeah no seriously because it's like i noticed that too andrew he's a very he's a very interesting character and and like i i get it um did you have did you have people like this at your school uh what do you mean by that <laughs> question i don't know like a jock or jo- I mean, they're all jocks but like jocks who act like him um i mean maybe i don't i was kind of in my own time zone so <laughs> uh yeah i'm sure we definitely had jocks i mean we had a football team <laughs> i just I, like okay so at my school things were less cut and dry i also um like yeah no that was what i was gonna say there was a lot of like cross-pollination at my school that like they didn't have like there were definitely social groups but the lines between them weren't quite as like hard and also um i was in like mostly honors classes uh so like just the kids that i was around honors classes and band so the kids (laughs) that i was around were like not those kinds of kids I don't mean to like generalize, but like no, just, I hear you. you know. No, but like at my school, the captain, like one year, the captain of the football team, was the star of the King and I. Okay, yeah. You know, and it like it's and that wasn't like that's cool. What you know, it wasn't yeah. like that weird to me. But you could never see Andrew being in a play. But actually, I kind of could. I feel like that scene when he breaks the glass, he just wants to dance. You know? <laughs> Like, it just, 
They all gotta dance and get it out. Well, I think they all have this instinct to want to dance. I, I, I can't blame them, you know? It's fun. Okay, one thing that I noticed about this film, and I don't mean to pick it apart, because I think it is a good movie, but I don't know why Vernon doesn't just do his work in the library <laughs> if he if he's so concerned with like the ruckus and yeah. stuff that, i know that we wouldn't have a film because of it but that would solve all his like agita yeah it's like he almost wants this, these things to happen like oh you're making noise when i'm not in the room because like, he's not they don't show him doing like he's not doing something important yeah in he's the other bored room. too and he's just looking for shit to do <laughs> so, so i found that interesting on uh this watch yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh, just again. I all my notes are like Ali Sheedy things. <laughs> I I love her first word is vodka. Like her first, she's <laughs> she's making she's making noises throughout. Yeah, she does not speak until thirty three minutes into the film. Yeah, <laughs> which it it's great that she can have a presence. Yeah, like she you know you always feel it present, but but she does she hardly speaks. And again, towards the end she speaks more. She uh you know she does have some like pivotal moments but uh i do love that um one thing though that i guess this is the first time i noticed this when watching this film is while while they're all different and they're perceived to be different people we can't pretend that this is like the united nations yeah no i mean there is not a single person of color in this movie there's not a queer character in this movie like it's there's so much that gets left out you know uh yeah no it and it's funny because it's like so many things i read about it and even in the film it's like these people have nothing in common but they're all like white teenagers in the suburbs going to the same school they have to have some things things in common common. yeah (laughs) which is just like I don't know. Again, it doesn't make it a bad film. And, and there are plenty of high schools. I would probably say the majority of high schools in America that are this homogenous. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh my God, what is he doing? You know, like <laughs> projecting this. But we also can't pretend that this is, you know, diversity high either. It was the 80s. Diversity didn't exist yet. <laughs> and that's another note I made too, kind of. This is a very Reagan era film. Yeah. Like, not to get too political, but these, like, I would say three out of the five characters are very Reagan-esque teenagers. Yeah. And and Bender is, like, and rightfully so, Bender is, like, definitely, like, a hated person in the Reagan era, but fine. Like, uh, and Ali Sheedy, Allison, kind of just conforms to the 80s Reagan stereotype anyway in the end. Yeah. Ugh, I hated that makeover. I love a makeover scene. Don't get me wrong. Love a makeover scene. Recently caught Encino Man on TV. Another oh, great high school classic. Yeah. Um, the makeover scene in that movie is so fucking funny. I <laughs> And I had seen it like many times as a kid and it just didn't appreciate that. Because it's like instead of girls doing the makeover, it's guys trying to do a makeover. And so, what's his name? Brennan Fraser's character is like all dirty and in the bathtub. And they're just pouring like soap and mouthwash and like shampoo just like into the water all at the same time it's hilarious anyway this was a terrible makeover scene and she she looks so much better with all that crap on her face like the first version Uh, yeah no she doesn't it, it it's this bothered me from the first watch like i mentioned her makeover and and watching now i tried to figure out why for i mean there's a lot of obvious reasons because she she doesn't look bad or no she's very pretty she acts weird but she doesn't necessarily look weird you know 
Yeah. And I'm, and, I, and I'm using air quotes like that. Maybe that just really, really wasn't the style then. And, you know, but if you saw someone who looked like that walking down the street today, would you be like, oh, my God, what a weirdo. No. You know? I'd be like, I want to be friends with her. <laughs> and it's one of the things that bothered me so much is it's I feel like the timing is poor mm. and, and it's just unnecessary because yeah. they've at that point they've already come to like a resolution and you kind of do see a little bit of sparks between andrew and her oh yeah i think from their first scene together there is like some tension there that's interesting yeah and that it just you didn't like if you're gonna remake this movie today i bet it doesn't include that kind of makeover yeah i mean if they're gonna make over anyone i feel like it would be either um brian or Bender, probably. <laughs> no, pro- no, really. I, I was laughing because the Brian one would be good. Yeah. I would like to see that. So, uh, you know, there's the dancing in this. There's Yeah, I love it when they're all dancing. Oh my god, there's, um, there's this shot when Bender has the knife. And it, because he and Andrew have just gotten into this little scrap, you know. <laughs> and Andrew... Or, yeah, Andrew takes him out like immediately because he's a wrestler and he knows how to do that. And Bender doesn't <laughs> clearly, like, clearly doesn't have any actual fighting skills. And but then he like pulls out a switchblade and he like stabs it into the chair and it's just sitting there. And it's him. Uh, it's just like a full body shot of him. And then Ali Sheedy leans into the shot from where she's sitting and grabs the knife with both hands and steals it. Yeah. First time I noticed that was this watch. I rewound it and watched it again because I was like, I never noticed that before. And it's yeah, so me funny. Either. It's so, it really, really, well, you know, the the shot work in this film is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's excellent. I That is something I, I just never picked up. Because again, I never until this watch watched this movie from, I don't want to say a critical perspective, mm-hmm. but like a, a really paying attention perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so one line I wrote, and I guess it's, after they get high, yeah, yeah, when they're opening all the stuff, is where Brian, um, they're looking in their uh, wallets or something, and Andrew takes out Brian's ID, and he says, <laughs> why do you need a fake ID? ID? Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, so I can vote. <laughs> and this is the worst fake ID I've ever seen. You realize you made yourself 68? I know, I know. I goofed it. What do you need a fake ID for? So I can vote. Which, again, feels like a very Reagan-era response. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And I looked it up, and, and Anthony Michael Hall actually improvised that line. So, yeah, bravo. That's so funny. Well done, Anthony Michael Hall. You know, he he's someone who doesn't get a lot of credit. He kind of plays the same thing for a while, so maybe that's mm-hmm. why. But, but he, he's pretty good in this, too. Yeah, I think he's great. Yeah, I just pretty much had to find a random point to stop our conversation, because... Well, we talk about The Breakfast Club for a while, but, you know, again, it's The Breakfast Club. How could we not? It's iconic. Great stuff in there. Thank you so much, Kara. You'll get to hear part two of our conversation next week, so don't worry. But don't think you're getting off easy this week on homework. Since you've presumably already watched The Breakfast Club, you have another mandatory reading assignment instead. So Molly Ringwald, obviously she plays Claire in this film, the legend Molly Ringwald, wrote this awesome article in the New Yorker this year in April. It's just I think the title is just like Molly Ringwald Revisits the Breakfast Club, but it's on John Hughes and her filming and it's really interesting and it puts it it very much 
is in the framework of kind of what we're going through right now and generationally and how the film and John Hughes' work in general reflects now. I don't want to spoil it too much, but this is mandatory reading assignment because we're going to talk a lot about it on next week's episode. I'll post it on all our social media pages if you don't want to Google it. But you can Google it too. Just put New Yorker Molly Ringwald and you'll find it. She's She actually like writes pretty well and it's... It's a very interesting take from somebody who was there. So you definitely, I was going to say you definitely want to read it. No, you have to read it. That's homework. You know, all this talk of the Breakfast Club got me thinking. Just need to see something here. Yes. Yes, John Cusack is still blocking us on Twitter. That was your previous homework assignment. And guess what? It is still an incomplete or an F either way. Not good, guys. Not good. And you know what that means? Next week, detention. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You better watch yourself or you get another. So remember, too, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Check out all the other great shows in the Cage Club Podcast Network, especially Kara Show Whistle Thinking. And now, I leave you with some Wang Chung. The song is Fire in the Twilight, and it's the song from when they're like running in the hallway. I think we talked about that scene. So enjoy. Later, dudes. Go.